Hello and welcome to the Spectator's Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American politics and the Trump presidency in 2017. I'm Freddie Gray and I'm deputy editor of The Spectator. I'm joined today by John Carney, who is economics editor for Breitbart, and we're going to be discussing Trumponomics. So, John, from this side of the Atlantic, it looks as though Trump's economics are a strange mixture of nationalist, Steve Bannon, Miller-type economics and Heritage Foundation cut-and-slash ultra-conservative economics. Is that a fair judgment of, of Trump's fiscal outlook? And is it feasible, do you think, as a presidential economic platform? I do. I think there is a – what's happening is a reprioritization of how the government spends money and how we conduct our trade deals. It, a lot of people national, – economic nationalism is a good phrase for it. A lot of people have referred to it as protectionism, but I'd point out that it's a lot different than the protectionism that we've seen in the past. If you look at historical protectionism, it tended to be at the behest of big companies looking to protect their domestic markets. Mm. That's not the case today. We don't have the CEOs you know, gathering around Donald Trump and saying, please you know, put up some trade barriers. In fact, a lot of the CEOs are definitely afraid of trade barriers. So that's what I would call the you – know, the old style protectionism would have been the corporatist protectionism. Now we have something that's much more driven by populism. So it is. So it's a populist protectionism aimed at making sure that when we do do trade deals, that they really do live up to what they're supposed to do, which is, you know, to the extent that we're shipping some of our jobs overseas, that we're we are actually able to create good jobs here in the United States as well to substitute for those. And when we can't do that, uh, we have to really think deep and hard about what that will mean for the people who will be displaced. Mm. And I think and I think that's the reprioritization that's happening. Whereas, you know, yeah, some of the stuff that, that you might say heritage slash and burned, Trump announced a budget that cut the EPA by the EPA's budget by you know, almost a third. We're going to see that's that's the environmental protection. Yes, the environmental protection agency, but that again actually goes along with the agenda rather than undermining it. Is the EPA is actually even though it has a budget of only around eight billion dollars, the actual costs that its regulations inflict on the United States economy are far larger than that. Mm. So by cutting just a few billion dollars out of the EPA you could probably actually cut hundreds of billions of dollars of regulatory costs just by slowing down their aggressive enforcement of regulations that really were stymieing business development in the U.S. And am I right in thinking Steve Bannon calls this the, the deconstruction of the administrative state? That's right. One of the things the the, the new, the, the again, the Trump budget in terms of the EPA did was defund the something called the Clean Power Plan which was a pretty big restructuring of the way electrical power is supplied in the United States. It was never passed into law. It was something that was created by the administrative state, meaning unelected bureaucrats and political appointees. Mm. And it, it, I'm of the opinion that if you're going to have a major restructuring of a huge part of the American economy, 
that elected representatives should have to pass a law, people who can be held responsible if you're going to more or less shut down coal, the coal industry in the United States. Somebody should have to vote for it. Somebody who can be voted out of office if people don't like the consequences of that. And it shouldn't be done by nameless bureaucrats in the administrative state. So yeah, that's what's happening is, you know, the deconstruction of the administrative state. Presumably, I mean, let's put aside the economics for a moment, that that is politically going to encounter a lot of resistance in Washington. Oh, yeah, uh, it is. It is, you know, another phrase that the Trump administration likes to use is draining the swamp. Mm. Swamps don't like to be drained. Uh, the alligators will bite back. It's not going to happen very easily. There's a lot you're, you're going to encounter a lot of institutional resistance to making serious changes to the way we conduct policy and the amount of people that are employed. And, you know, the, if, if you cut an, a, if you cut a budget of an agency by 30%. That means a lot of people are from that agency are going to have to be let go. These people will find jobs outside in the private sector, but they're going to they're going to fight back. Uh, and it, I expect we'll see pretty big battles about that in the coming months. And I mean, I suppose a lot of Trump voters will hope that this fat being cut from the government, that the government will support them more in their jobs. I mean, what signs are there that the Trump administration really is going to redirect American tax policy and American government spending to benefit the middle classes and the lower middle classes particularly? Well, there, he, he has promised to do over you know, a period of years a lot of infrastructure spending, which you know, directs funds toward uh, toward jobs that non-bureaucrats do. When you when you have money taken, even defense spending, when you have money taken out of EPA spending and put into defense spending, that means the people who work for the defense industry get have more work to do. You know, people who build planes and people who build armored personnel carriers uh, will have more, and ships. There's a lot more work to be done uh, in in those terms. So you are redirecting the the priorities of the government toward things that will help a lot of Trump constituents. The infrastructure spending in particular would be a pretty big deal um, in creating jobs, not just directly, but also indirectly. Because, you know, if you're going to fix the roads and the bridges and the dams of America, Mm -hmm. you also have to, you know, you have to buy the dirt moving equipment and the trucks and the all of the equipment that you need to do this and you have to hire the contracts it's it's spending into the private sector instead of spending on the public sector and trump of course has promised to to buy american and hire american so that money would go back into yeah. American uh, American pockets. But I, I wanted, I mean, the criticism of this economic outlook is that slashing taxes and spending a lot on infrastructure will turbocharge the American economy for maybe two or three years. But there is a, inevitably going to be some sort of inflationary or disastrous consequence down the line. Are you fearful of that? I'm not fearful of inflation. Look, for years now, we have undershot our inflation, what the Federal Reserve would consider normal levels of inflation. We've been in a, the world itself appears to be in a sort of deflationary spiral. Mm. Interest rates are negative around the world. Even if we produced higher than, higher inflation for quite a few years, that would only put us back on track to where we 
think price levels would be if we had had the goal of 2% inflation over the last eight years. So I'm not very worried about inflation. But the other thing is, remember, this is all controllable in that if it turns out that four years from now, it is, you know, the American economy is firing on all cylinders and we need to pull back some of the spending or raise interest rates a little more. We can do that. It's not as if we sort of set it on autopilot and then, you know, can't control what happens in the future. We can pull back on the spending if it turns out that it's unnecessary. We can, you know, the Fed will raise interest rates if it sees that uh, inflation is getting out of hand. But again, I, I just don't see the evidence for that. The you know, we've been trying to produce more inflation, not just the United States, but central banks all over the world have been trying to produce more inflation for years and failing. Uh, if Trump is able to, that's actually a success rather than a failure. I, I heard someone saying economically, uh, Trump is, is more like Jimmy Carter than Ronald Reagan. Is, is, do you think that's a fair critique, perhaps, possibly? No, I don't think so. I, you know, Jimmy Carter was not an economic nationalist in any real sense of the word. And so I, I don't see that at all. And in fact, Ronald Reagan did a lot to protect a lot of important American industries uh, while he was president. So I don't, I don't think that's a fair comparison at all. Speaking to Republicans, do you get the sense that they are comfortable? I mean, let's look at uh, the Re- Ob- Obamacare replacement. Uh, it seems to right. me that that plan has been met with a lot of resistance because it wasn't really Trump's plan. It was more Paul Ryan and the Republicans' plan. Right. It's, it's, it's Ryan Care. It's Ryan Care, yeah. And it is not what perhaps Trump voters would have wanted in an Obamacare replacement. Is that fair to say? So I think the fight over Ryan Care is actually illustrative of a debate that we'll probably see a lot more of going forward, which is a struggle uh, between the old standard bearers of the Republican Party and its new leadership, which means Donald Trump and the people who have come along with him. And that that's going to take adjustment. You know, you don't that's not going to happen overnight. And and there will be gives and takes as the, you know, the various political forces learn to work with each other. I think one of the reasons the Ryan care battle has been in a way as as public and as and even at you know at times mean mm. as it's been is in part because this is the first one right this is the first time that we're trying to bring together republican coalition and see what it means to have a governing coalition that is different from you know the ones that a lot of republicans thought they would have in the past yeah the trouble with deconstructing the administrative state is that there's still a lot of administration that goes on inevitably in a country as huge as America. And it seems to me that the Republican, the, the sort of Paul Ryan side of the Republican Party, are they just going to take over the things that Trump doesn't really keep his eye on, that he can't really be bothered to think about? I mean, something like Obamacare replacement is a very complicated sure. thing. And I, I don't get the impression that Trump is really brained on to how you replace it. I think that there is a that that's one of the things the Trump administration is going to have to be wary of, as a matter of fact, is 
not letting you know when you get elected president you're president of the entire government you don't get to just pick your favorites mm. and not letting whether it's republicans or the the sort of the, the permanent deep state administrative state run things as it will as it wants to just because that's not your top priority you have to you know they say you know liberty requires eternal vigilance you know it it requires ubiquitous vigilance also. So we're going to have to you know, adjust to, you know, the Trump administration is going to have to adjust to governing. And that means, you know, keep keeping its eye on everything. Well, it'll be very interesting to see. John, thank you very much for talking to us. Thanks for having me. This has been great. Just a reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast anytime on iTunes. So please do. 